I'd like to begin this week's episode with a moment of silence in honor of the Canadian World Junior Championship hopes. Gone, but most definitely not forgotten. Thank you. Now it's our turn to, uh, sorry for the awards, but put our balls on the table. How do you like that, man, folks? Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I'm Steph Faustin, locked into the Mile High Hockey Podcast for January 4th, 2016. Happy New Year to you all. Now, before we talk about the last week in abs, the period of death, power plays, the rest of the homestand, and so forth, allow me to introduce your other disembodied voice of the week. Joining me again is the managing editor of Mile High Hockey. Hey, Ryan Murphy, what's up? What's up, everybody else? Not a whole lot here, and you are all we got. So with that, we don't have a whole lot else to do but just play the whoosh. Since you heard from us last, the Avs are 1, 2, and 2. Not ideal. Uh, starting on the 21st of December, with a 7-4 loss to the Toronto Maple Leafs power play. Not much else to say about that. Colorado gave up 7 goals on 22 shots, which is just not good enough regardless of the circumstances, even if 3 of them were on the power play and 1 was into an empty net. A hat trick for former Paul Stastny trade piece Tyler Bozak as well. So... For Christmas, you got a punch in the stomach. Scoring for the Avalanche with Jack Skilly twice, John Mitchell, and Eric Johnson on a power play. So not how you want to go into the Christmas break, and not really how you want to come out of it either. Avs lose 2-1 in overtime to the not-Phoenix Coyotes. But sometimes you just get goalied, and that's what happened here. As Colorado outshot Arizona 39-28, but Anders Lindback played the game of his career, I think. I think that's pretty safe to say. Uh, Jerome McGinley with the Avs lone tally on the power play, number 599 for him. Now remember there's a game with Calgary coming up, so we all kind of thought that might be some foreshadowing. Uh, the next night the Avs travel to San Jose for a schedule loss against the Sharks and get their lone win because exact reverse opposite and stuff. 6-3. On the back of four, count them, power play goals. From Nathan McKinnon twice, Carl Soderberg and Blake Como. Matt Duchesne added his 17th, and McKinnon put home the empty netter to complete the hat trick from about a mile away. Um, but that was almost from his own crease. Do you remember that one? I do. That was, was that from his own crease? It was damn close. It was very, very close. Well, the dots for sure. He tried to feed again the 600th first, but it just wasn't to be. And I'm not sure what happened to San Jose in this game. They were as undisciplined as I've ever seen that team, honestly. They took at least 400 penalties, maybe more. Um, on New Year's Eve, Avs lose 4-3 in overtime to the Chicago Blackhawks after a stupid-ass too-many-men penalty gave Chicago an overtime power play. That, that can't happen. There's three of you. Figure it out. Carl Soderberg on the power play, Cody McLeod, and Eric Johnson tallying for the Avs in this one, which, honestly, I felt was Chicago's to lose, and they certainly tried. Scott Darling was brutal in goal, while Varlamov stopped 39 of 43. Happy to get a point. Honestly, out of that one. And finally, on Saturday, the Flames come to town with Jerome McGinley sitting on 599, setting the stage for nothing to happen. Avs lose 4-0 in one of the more alarmingly bad efforts in a while. Down by four goals, the Avs mustered one, count it, one shot on goal in the third. After giving up three in the second period, Varlamov was yanked in favor of Calvin Pickard, who shut the door from there. But it's tough to blame Varlamov for basically any of the Calgary goals, in my opinion. I mean, maybe the fourth one. Two were absurd deflections into the top corner. What are you going to do? 
So, um, my condolences to anyone who paid to watch that game. Um, your time may have been better spent doing something else. You know, I hadn't heard that Jerome McGinley was on 599 on every broadcast and every press release I got this week. I hadn't heard that. Yeah, I watch as many away feeds as possible because I have Game Center Live and I despise altitude. Um, everybody is talking about it. Please Continue. just score it already. <laughs> Come on. Well, the Avs tried to give him every opportunity, didn't they? Yes. Yes, I mean, they did. Uh, even at the expense of trying to score goals, it was uh, hard to watch. That Tangay pass at point-blank range was just inexcusable. Yeah, I mean, it's also kind of classic Tangay to do things like that, if we're being honest. Right, but it also would have been classic Tangay to see him dangle that goalie and score that goal and keep the abs in the game. Yeah, um, you can tell when Tangay hasn't and when Tangay doesn't. Um, just watch him turn, watch him stop, or uh, not stop would probably be the difference here. Um, I noticed this a lot when Jonathan Chichu played for the Oklahoma City Barons. Um, that dude never hockey stops, ever. He just takes these big old giant turns. And right. when Tanke's not, do- not going, he does the exact same thing. And, you know, you got to wonder how healthy that knee is and whether he's just trying to finish out a year or he's actually trying to get healthier. I'm not sure what his goal is at that point. I'm not sure what the team's goal with him right now is. Yeah, um, his contract is up at the end of this season. I think that the decision should be obvious and easy to move on. Um, But I've been proven wrong before. Correct. I like a lot of the things the front office has been doing lately. Not everything, though. Right. I, I do think they need more credit for some of the free agent signings they made this offseason. I don't know if we've really talked about that enough on this show or in writing, but uh, I think Carl Soderberg's proven himself to be a hell of a signing so far. Yes. And I like Blake Como quite a bit. Not necessarily on a top line, but I do like Blake Como on this team. Blake Como is also kind of a bellwether for how the game is going to go. Um, if he takes an unnecessary offensive zone penalty, the game is over and Colorado have lost. It never fails. Right. He took one in the first. I think it was against Chicago, and I was like, well, GG, that's that. <laughs> it, it's just a meme at this point. He he takes an offensive zone penalty in almost every loss. I'm pretty sure of it. Yeah, we have to go back and check that, but I, that's my observation as well. But, yeah, I, I like the way he plays in general. He's he, was, he had a couple of excellent penalty kills the last few games, and so did Carl Soderberg, who... I, I do think he's signed a little bit too long. Um, you, there's no such thing as a good free agent contract. I'm starting to believe that. Right. Um, but he's been, after a real rough start to the year with some garbage line mates, he's really turned it on lately and played very well. well he's found his niche on this team. I, I think the coaching staff has found out what his strengths are and setting up to succeed finally. Um, he's been great on the PK. He's been... He's got, like, such great hockey sense, it's kind of incredible to, to realize how much vision he has of the ice when you remember he's half-blind, so. <laughs> right. Like, you only need one. Like one I, kidney, one eye. Like, I've got two eyes, and I can't see the shit he sees. 
Well, I got four eyes on right now. <laughs> womp womp. Yeah. So, you know what? I, the more I, I see Carl Soderberg, the more I see the kind of player I want Mikhail Grigorenko to turn into. Sure. And they're built in the, so similarly, and they're, they skate the same way. They've kind of got a very similar skill set. Uh, I I, more and more, I'd like to see his development head that direction. Yeah, I could see that. And uh, an underrated favorite thing about Carl Soderberg is that he wears that extra long visor. Mm-hmm. Does that little Tron mask? I, for some reason, I've always just thought those look kind of cool. <laughs> well, yeah, and the face underneath it's generally entertaining as well. No matter what expression is. <laughs> Uh, Carl Soderberg, you just won the lottery. Blank face. Carl Soderberg, I'm repossessing your car. Blank face. Yep, and it's probably also time we, you know, he's got 26 points through 39 games, which isn't, you know, fantastic. But in this day and age, as a, you know, secondary type center, that's a pretty good point total. Yeah, it is. Not, uh, it doesn't equal the guy he's replacing who's playing in Buffalo. Yeah, I forget his name already. But, um, uh, I think it rhymes with a Cryano Cryley. Yeah, something to do with money or whatnot. But, you know, I think this is about the best we could have hoped for as a replacement. Yeah. I mean, we, we knew we weren't going to replace that guy, um, at least on the ice. Right. But, like, it, anybody who expected this like this team to be as good on the ice just for that particular reason um i don't know how much we can trust their analysis in the future but uh definitely a big fan of the way that soderberg has come in and made his presence uh felt in a very positive way and he is definitely been a good revelation for the team as the year has gone on He's been playing lately with uh, Landeskog and Como, right? Yep, last two games I've noticed anyway. Did they juggle that line later in, late in the Calgary game? They did not juggle that line. That was the only one that stuck. So what we've been seeing lately is um, Duchesne with no competent line mates, as is, of course is tradition. Um, McKinnon with the old guys, because that makes sense. And then the fourth line, which doesn't matter. Um, except to say that Grigorenko was on it. The lines have been hard to watch. I, I'm not sure what led to that decision necessarily, but <laughs> I don't agree with it. I mean, I think it's pretty easy to see what led up to that decision because the, the nines line was dominant and then no one else could do anything and teams were finally starting to key in them to them, or key on to them is the word I want. And... Uh, because if you shut that line down, there's not a lot of firepower left. Colorado, with uh, with a rapidly aging again, Lantangay are short some top six forwards. Now, uh, the argument makes sense to me. The timing of it, however, does not. Because during this stretch of home games, you have last change. You can make that line work for you and get the matchups you want. Yeah. My argument. But, you know, we saw uh, Wob return to that idea last night, at least two-thirds of the way. Um, after the second period, when nothing was going right, he shifted Nathan McKinnon back up to Deshane's line with Martinson, and I imagine that's probably something he's going to experiment with, you know, the next game, maybe as soon as tomorrow. But 
something has to happen. Yeah, um, I I still just want one time to see the lines that everybody wants to see. Put, right. put, put Grigorinko back with Duchesne and, and McKinnon because that surprisingly worked like crazy. It did. Keep Landeskog with Soderberg and Como. Put Mitchell with the old guys and keep the fourth line intact. Yep. Well, who do you want to see centering that fourth line then in that scenario? I don't know. Figure it out. Yeah. Do okay. you see Wagner again? <laughs> oh, yeah. There you go. There you go. And then, well, uh, and then you can alternate your scratches between uh, Wagner and Martinson and Skilly, and that's no big deal. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, something's got to happen. I mean, the argument was the team was having a hard time scoring, but, you know, it's a top-five scoring team in the league or something when it happens. So I don't necessarily understand why it needed to change at that particular time. They weren't losing games yet. No, in the last in the games that I ran down to start the show, we had four against Toronto, mm-hmm. uh, one against not Phoenix, but that, that who cares? You you got you got goalied. What are you going to do? And then three against the Blackhawks, and mm-hmm. then I mean six against the Sharks. Right, many were on the power play given, but you know that's a lot of goals in this league, no matter what situation. Yeah, I mean if you if you score three, you should probably have a better than 50-50 chance of winning the game. Mm-hmm. Well, especially at the way Varlamov has been playing. And you know what? Despite last night's result, he has been playing at an elite level. And as you described in your pregame, or little uh, preview there, it, they weren't his fault. I mean, those were tip-ins that would score on any goalie in any situation. They're impossible to stop. I don't remember the first one, the power play goal. Right. You know, I'd have to go back on that one, too. Okay. But I know that one of them was, like, off of a stick and then possibly off of Barry at straight, like, almost bar down. Like, give me a right. break. I think that was the third one. But yeah, these was, tips, yeah. you know, what stuck out to me is how high in the slot they were. I mean, these were far. <laughs> they weren't right at the goal. You know, it, it wasn't like... Uh, these guys weren't being cleared in front of the nets. It's not like they weren't being locked down by the defense. They were in pretty innocent spots and getting these tip-ins from 12, 15 feet away, it almost seemed like. Yeah, it was, well, I mean, Calgary were trying to do that. They were, and it was their fourth line. They are doing a great job at it. And, yeah, <laughs> sometimes you roll sixes, fourth man. Line. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't Yuri Hoodler that beat the Avs for once. I didn't even notice him on the ice, which is... Really, really interesting, because that never, ever happens. Yeah, for, for what I saw that game of on Hockey Night in Canada, they were saying the exact same thing. They were like, we don't see Erie Hoodler. He must still be in the doghouse. You know what? We didn't see Goudreau either. I mean, that was just not an effective line against the Avalanche last night. And, uh, they got beat by the bottom six. Yep, they got beat by, well, bounces, honestly. Mm-hmm. And then they also beat themselves. John Mitchell's hat trick of penalties didn't help. Um, this the second one. It's hard to argue that he shouldn't have tried to do something to stop that one-on-one scoring chance. The other two were just bad. Right. I mean, it's a move he employs often. You know, that little stick tap. You know, it's pretty hard to get the guy off the puck. And that time he just caught both sticks. Squarely as possible and broke him. 
The, the second one, like it was about to be a five foot no defense chance. You do whatever you did it takes to stop that exactly. play. I get it. The first one was ridiculous. The third one was. Mm, yeah, at that point it was just over. <laughs> I think it's just a microcosm of the entire evening. Yeah. Third one's garbage. Yeah, yeah microcosm of the entire e- evening. A double minor for high sticking with less than four to play. Yep, and then just swung it like a baseball bat. <laughs> you know, I guess he got his money's worth, but <laughs> it's just nothing worked last night, and you might as well just go be get all the slop out all in one game. Yeah, I hope so, because there's uh, four games in the next seven days, and one of them is against the Kings, and the other three are against the Central Division. So Very important. They've got to get the lines figured out in this stretch, because they are at home mostly, and... Yep. It's going to determine your entire season. At least what control you have left over it. Right. It may already be determined, but if you're going to make a move, it's got to be, you know, eight points right through here. And you've got to climb at least in that third or fourth conversation. Give yourself a chance later on. Which means gaining eight points on Minnesota, who has two games in hand. Right. Who's playing good hockey right now, and uh, you know what? I, I think they're a more complete team. Minnesota are fourteen five and one at home. So are Chicago. <laughs> wait, wait. Teams can win games at home. <laughs> yeah, Dallas is sixteen four and zero, oh, but they don't count because they've won every game anyway. Right. Um, those look like just about the best home records. Every team in the Central Division has a winning record at home, except. Well- <laughs> Winnipeg is 11-5-1 at home. They've got a lot of home games to play, it looks like. Right. But that is a winning record, is it not? Yeah. Yeah. 6-9-3. Well, 6-9-3, uh, the Avalanche stand at home, which is inexcusable given the altitude advantage, the traveling advantage they have. Uh, it's not a good record. Who else has a losing record at home? Columbus. Which I, I also don't want to put any stock in because they've lost every game. Uh, yeah. Buffalo, similar. Anaheim's five hundred. Vancouver's uh, seven and seven and three. Boston are nine ten and two, but they've, they're eleven three and two on the road, so that'll that'll even out. I mean, these are bottom feeder teams that have these kind of home records. Yep. And San Jose yeah. have the worst in the league, five eleven and zero. Well, I mean, that also speaks to the. Re- Avalanche's ability to win on the road, they've been very good. Um, there's only a couple other teams that have as many wins as they do. Uh, unfortunately, you've got to complement it with strong home play. And I've been waiting for the market correction all season. It has yet to happen. They've just yet to perform. Well, if it's going to happen, this is the month for it because I've got home games against you know Buffalo and New Jersey and Tampa. And then after that, they'll they'll have a rough stretch of it again, but... Get through this week, and things even out quite a bit. So, um, it's kind of the same as, to completely force a transition, it's kind of the same as the second period, which the team just can't quite seem to get through intact. Right. They fail at very specific scenarios, like home and second period. You know, I haven't actually, like, I've been meaning to do this, but I just haven't because I've been doing 500 different things lately. Um, I've really been meaning to go and look at um, the Avs by period, by home and by road. Um, 
it won't take long to do it. I just haven't done it. Um, <laughs> but but there, I, I ran some numbers a few days ago. Um, in terms of possession, they are by far, it's not even close, by far the worst team in the league in the second period relative to their main possession number, like their overall possession numbers. It's like 100 shots, isn't it? Indifference? It's something like that. They are minus 16 score-adjusted Corsi per 60 down in the second period, hmm. which is just ridiculous. I mean, that's... What's a... the next closest? Hmm? Do you know what the next closest is? Not that number. Um, they are minus, like... They're like 3.5% worse in the second period than they are overall, and the next closest was like 2.7%. Is pretty bad. Of course, there's there's that much of a difference between L.A. at the top and the number two. So, as good as L.A. is, Colorado are that bad in the second period. Right, and uh, we also might qualify that that they've been successful in the first period, um, and that's kind of allowed them to really shut their offense down for the second period for a lot of games, even during wins. Yeah, I mean this this is score adjusted, but. This is also Colorado, who probably need a much heavier score adjustment than anybody else in the league. Because True. we go, hey, we're ahead. We don't need any more goals. Nope. Uh, I mean, we're seeing the psychology of having a Hall of Fame goalie as your head coach. Um, he is willing to put it in his goalie's hands in every game he has a lead. Which works if you have a defense that can suppress shots. <laughs> Wait, the Avs don't have that? We have two of them. Maybe two. three. Maybe three. Um, I, we just kind of had this conversation a little bit on Twitter with Dario. Um, they, he feels like the second period issues has to be connected to the long change, um, particularly at home because that means long change for your right D, which means more Gannon, which means more Holden. Mm-hmm. So... That's an interesting theory. I, I'd yet to think about that. Um, the premise makes sense. I mean, the Avs have had a lot of difficulties with changes, uh, just giving up odd man rushes and too many men on the ice, and they've been trying. But, you know, that's probably a very plausible explanation for their failures in the second period. Yeah, and when we could definitely go in and test that and look at time of ice shares by period, by home and by road, but, uh, yeah. We should get an article together. That'd be interesting. Yeah, if I can ever find the time to do that much work. I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to do so many things right now. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's part of why I've not really been around the site too much lately, is I've been doing so much. Real life stuff, man. That'll get you. Yeah, meat space is hell. Um, but another, speaking of the defenseman usage, um, we've got new visualizations coming out from uh, Michael McCurdy at Ineffective Math on Twitter, who you should follow if you don't, if you are into the fancy numbers. And sometimes incomprehensible, but usually very, very good graphics explaining them. Um, he's got a new visualization that actually kind of shows time on ice shares. And you see that the Avalanche top 4D, you see Johnson, Boschman, Barry, and Holden, all are kind of grouped up together. They all get basically the same amount of ice time and even strength. And then your bottom pair guys get very little. You don't really see pair one, pair two, pair three. You see pair one and two, and then scraps. So 
It's not like the team don't know that their bottom pairing isn't good. Are they worse than their middle pairing? You know, performance-wise? Uh, I mean, I asked that anecdotally. I mean, uh, I'm not sure a pairing of Gormley and Redman is that much worse than Barry and Holden in practice. Uh, to me, it looks equally ineffective, not necessarily one better than the other. Depends on the game Barry's having, because when Barry is really good, that puck isn't staying in your zone very long. Right. Um, yeah. But when he's not really good, then he's going to get abused pretty heavily behind the net. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I question whether or not that uh, ice time discrepancy is necessary, you know, on the nights that Barry isn't having his game. I mean, we can talk about necessary, but I also kind of want to talk about whether that's even wise because you've got Francois Beauchemin playing 25 minutes a night. Right. And part of the reason that his season went downhill towards the end with Anaheim is that dude wore down. And he was playing 25 minutes a night. So he was playing less with Anaheim than he has been with Colorado. Well, that's So cool. I kind of understand having the first and second pairings play a sort of equal amount of time from that perspective. Um, but the third pairing part of it is questionable. Yeah, it is. I, mean, I don't think Gormley and Redmond are that much worse than the other options to where they couldn't take two more minutes of ice time a night. Right. Which, over the course of a season, adds up. Right. Specifically, um, in a fairly even game state. When you're, when you're leading, um, then Barry and Holden are usually going to get pinned in their zone for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're trailing, you want them on the ice. Mm-hmm. Mostly for Barry, but you want them on the ice. You know, I think Holden's acceptable on a penalty kill, too. He's going to get his minutes. You know, you don't have to put him on the ice even strength any more than he normally would need to. Uh, and Barry's going to get the same kind of minutes on a power play. So I, I, I don't know. I'd, I'd like to see that more balanced just for the sake of keeping everybody fresh and interested and effective. Effective, especially for Francois Beauchemin. Mm-hmm. And uh, Eric Johnson can handle it for sure right now. Um, but do worry about Bosch. Yeah, I mean, I think, interestingly, we won't necessarily see that pairing together going forward. None of us like how long Boschman's contract is, but, you know, he's probably going to end up a second-pairing guy next year. He's probably going to end up a third-pairing guy his third year. You know, that's the correct progression for the team if, you know, their young defensemen pan out. But this year is going to be a little rough for him getting Eric Johnson's minutes. I think he's still a top-pairing guy next season based on the fact that Zadorov is still with San Antonio. Right. Who I th- is? Uh, I think the goal... Top tonight, but. Yeah, I, I think the goal is to get Boschman off the first pairing by this time next season. Yeah, actually, I think that's fair, too. I mean, Zadorov has to be that guy eventually, or else the Avalanche have really, really screwed up. Or it could be B-Grow, or it could be Siemens. Probably not Siemens at this point, but... Nope. I makes you wonder what they're going to do with that guy. He's not seeming to get a chance here. What we've heard from uh, you know the people that get to watch the games every day is that he looks like the first one that should be getting an opportunity with the big club. 
And you know what? Right now, we prefer Nate Gannon and Brandon Gormley and Zach Redmond. So you know, honestly, right now, I prefer Nate Gannon too because he's had like one bad game in the last month, and he's been getting scratched a lot. Mm-hmm. I really don't want ten minutes and lots of scratches for a guy like Bigard or Siemens. Right. I mean, you need those guys playing big minutes. You need them playing special teams down the AHL and. You don't want them scratched ever. Those guys should not be scratched in the NHL right now. They can get, you know, if they're up with the NHL long term, a scratch here and there is going to be good for them. Mm-hmm. Sit with the video coach and watch things from above, you know. Yep. Um, the rest of the but the the seven D spot is not okay. No, that's that's what you want Nate Gannon for. Yes. <laughs> I mean, he'll give you a, a good effort because he's a try-hard kind of guy, and you can live with one game of whatever Nate Gannon is, as long as he's going back to the bench. Yeah, I mean, honestly, Gannon has not been god-awful except for one game or so lately. Yeah, I think he's kind of slowed down his thinking process a little bit. He doesn't seem to panic as much. He's still not making great passes, but yeah, I've always found him. He's still Nate Gannon. He's still Nate Gannon, and I still like him on a little bit on the penalty kill, just because he's so physical. You know, he's got a little bit of Adam Foot in him. <laughs> <laughs> he's just also a robot, un- which helps too. Right. You know, rock him, sock him, Nate Gannon. <laughs> bleep bloop. This is my area on the ice. At bleep bloop, you will not be in it. Yeah. Just gonna punch you along these boards for five minutes, and we'll see what you can do about it. And that's my ice time for the game. Right. Um. Yeah, it's tough. It kind of makes you wish that the Avalanche were better or worse than they are right now. Uh, right now, they're in such a mediocre type of performance scenario that you can't call up the young guys and give them playing time, you know? And they're not bad enough yet to where they need to give up on the season. Well, they're they're 19 in the league. The, the biggest problem is that they're in the Central and not the Pacific. Right. Yep, uh, that's going to be a problem all season, I imagine. Can't switch conferences. Yeah, but I mean, it's not like they're not like they've got great company around them. I mean, the teams around them are Arizona, Vancouver, San Jose. Mm-hmm. So, which are also middling teams with deficiencies and holes and uh, things to improve. So, yeah, we know what kind of team they are right now. We, we we know what kind of team they are right now, but they're also two points out of twenty seventh. So, yep. And uh, yeah, I was doing a little research. Uh, you know, I took the second half of last season, the first half of this season, just took the calendar year, and I was trying to think of something to write about it. But the Avalanche have almost the exact same point totals. And, uh, you know, they're pretty much an 86 to 90 point team. That's what they are right now. Yep. Yeah. That's what, uh, that's what the fancy projection models kind of say is upper 80s to 90. Mm-hmm. And, They've been uh, terribly consistent at it. Yeah. Even if they're doing it by winning five and then losing five. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the last few games, they've definitely, apart from the aberration against Calgary, obviously, they've been getting offense. They've been getting production from the power play specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, which is interesting because anytime Colorado goes on a power play, the fans, myself included, kind of like, Groan, roll your eyes. All right, time to go let the dogs out. You know, nothing's going to happen for the next two minutes. Um, but they've not been terrible lately. 
you know, I, I'm not sure they've changed a whole lot. Uh, obviously, the personnel's been tweaked a little bit. We we're seeing again when Tangay get, you know, first power play line minutes again. I think their passing's been better, and I think they're getting the puck down low a little better than they had been. Not as many shots from the point. I think a good reason for that is, especially over recent games, you've been seeing a lot less where they set up this god-awful umbrella where you have four burgundy sweaters above the dots on the power play. Right. Um, there have been times when you've had one guy in the high slot and then three avalanche on the blue line and one lone winger sitting down in the corner going, uh, well, I don't know what to do from here. Right. Who's not drawing any defense away or making them even pay attention. Or even remotely dangerous. Right. And by sending the guy down low, I think you're making the middle wing that kind of pinches in into the zone there that they're trying to bounce passes off in the middle. They make that guy more effective because now he's a dangerous scorer, not just a guy that can angle passes to another player. Right. And you've got Landeskog now, who's more on the half wall and less on the butt in the goalie's face job and uh, able to make just like that sick pass to Johnson on the power play goal against probably San Jose. Yep. Um, I could double check that, but I'm pretty sure it was San Jose. No, maybe not. It was definitely not actually. I'm not sure who it was against. Hmm. Maybe Toronto, but it was, uh, that's kind of like that little backhand flip through about four sticks that EJ is just like, Oh, goal. Right. That's, well, that's his strength, too. He, his strength has always been on the boards. You need to have him there. Yep. And what's allowed them to do that is the Avalanche have found two guys that have been pretty effective in front of the goalie. And one is probably the most improbable of all, Matt Duchesne. And uh, the other is what we were talking about earlier, Carl Soderberg. Yep. Um, I don't know how improbable Matt Duchesne is, though. We talk a lot about how strong he is on the puck, and we talk a lot about how he can stick handle in a phone booth. So right, makes sense to me. It does. I mean, typically when we talk about a guy that needs to stand in front of a goalie, you're thinking a big-bodied person. And yeah, yeah, thinking Andreas Martinson. Exactly. And as what we're discovering right now is that's not necessarily true. A skilled player can be just as effective there. Yeah, because you, you don't just want somebody to screen and try to tip things. You need someone who can take the rebound and scoop it straight up. Right. And there's a couple of guys on the team that can do that. <laughs> and really, it's McKinnon and Duchesne. I don't want McKinnon there, really. He needs to be able to move around. I'd like to see him at the dot. You know, I'd like, I still want him just getting used to that Ovechkin shot, you know, where we're giving Aginla that shot right now. But I think long term, that needs to be him on the left side, just ripping wristers and slap shots. Yeah, they, they have spent a lot of time trying to feed Aginla that shot, and it hasn't gone in for him since October. Nope. And it has, and it hasn't been one of those things where it's like, oh, the goalie made a save, or oh, a sprawling block, or oh, off the post. It's just been not dangerous. Yeah, uh, one thing we have seen him grow into a little bit this season is it been able to make the cross ice pass from there, which is at least one new element <laughs> to the power play. <laughs> and we saw that a little bit against San Jose, a little bit against Calgary too, and that, that's one thing we should mention. They were over against Calgary on the power play, but. I thought it also looked just as good as it did against San Jose. It just wasn't successful. It was a little sloppy at times. It resulted in a few chances the other direction. Um, but no, you're right. Ramo and his defenders made some pretty good saves on the power play, specifically in the first. Yep. Um, the power plays at the end of the first probably deserved to score, even if they did not. Um, 
But I think we were seeing, um, we're also seeing like, power plays that maybe have a late face-off, maybe get a shot frozen with 10 or 15 seconds left. We're seeing Patrick Waugh go to his fourth line. Mm-hmm. Um, so that maybe the, I think that that's kind of wise, because you're not going to score in 15 seconds. That's really, really unlikely. Um, go ahead and get the fourth line shift out of the way so that you can get your top guys back out there and not have too much of a hit to your uh, to your momentum immediately after a failed power play, which is what we had been seeing a lot of. Mm-hmm. We'd seen ineffective power play. Okay, now we're going to get pooped on for two minutes. Right. Everybody's tired. They've been on the ice too long. And, it, you know, they're, you don't want tired top players on the ice. I mean, the other coaches are too smart. They recognize that. So, I mean, I think we're in agreement on this one. I think we've seen good adjustments from uh, from whoever's in charge of the power play. It all it all it all stops with Wall, of course, but we've seen good adjustments from his staff in that area getting guys to go lower because if you get guys to go lower, then that's when the low to high works, not Blue line to 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 shot off his shins into the neutral zone, and now you can't get back in the zone. Yep. Um, I like Matt Deshane down low. I think he uh, – Carl Soderberg too. They both kind of shift from in front of the goalie to down below the blue line with the puck in their hands, and they make good passes from there. I think it's made the power play more dynamic. And Tengay's not on the point. <laughs> right. So – Thank you, Power Play, for several goals this week. We would have appreciated one yesterday, but, well, Saturday, I should say, because I don't know what day it is when you're listening to this garbage. Um, So thank you for those brief moments of awesome, even if they were not always enough. Let's see more of it. Then I think it's also important to remember that that low to high that we that basically specifically earned Nick Holden his contract extension. Um, that will work if you're getting low like they have been doing. Right. And you don't have to do it every time. You can sneak up on somebody every once in a while. Yeah. You know, have a couple tricks up your sleeve. Yeah. Um, penalty kill has been having a rough go of it lately too, but I don't know. You know, that's going to ebb and flow naturally. I mean, you're at a man disadvantage, and that's just going to bite you more often than not. I mean, the trick is not to take penalties. They say your goalie has to be your best penalty killer, and on this team, that is not a cliche. Because this team is not good enough at suppressing shot attempts. You, They can block a whole bunch of them, and they will block a whole bunch of them, and they have blocked a whole bunch of them but there's still going to be attempts, and one of them's going to bounce off you wrong. There are some bruised shins and legs in that locker room every night. And thank God for those skate protectors, or we'd have some busted ankles. Yeah, that was a hell of a decision this offseason. Yeah. Just to be like, hey, we can't mandate you to wear this optional equipment, but boy, if you don't, you're going to regret it. Mm-hmm. Because here's what you're going to be doing on the ice every night. So get used to it. <laughs> Cannon fodder. But I mean, uh, we're, we're seeing Mike Boschman very clearly trying to block pucks with his feet at times um, on the on the penalty kill. I saw him actually like almost do a little ballet stance where he's kind of got his feet, yeah. you know, in a straight line and he just kind of kicked the puck out of the out of the yeah. slot. But <laughs> I was like, it wasn't a very hard shot. It was probably more of a shot pass, and he was just like, nope, not today. 
you know what's great though is I don't worry the same way about you know McKinnon breaking his foot like he did last year. Right. You know I've got a little peace of mind as a fan. I like it. Right. Um, and they uh, hockey night in Canada pointed this out against Calgary. Uh, Nick Holden took a bullet off the ankle and he mm. was shaken up for a minute, but then he was fine. And they pointed out the skate guards and they said, "Now a shot off the bone is still going to hurt." <laughs> But those skate guards may be the difference in a situation like that between a broken ankle and a bruised one. Mm-hmm. So, well done on the equipment. Um, and that's what's been going on with the Avalanche lately. Yeah, some good things, some bad things. Some games that probably should have won, they didn't. Some games that probably should have lost, and they got points anyway. Mm-hmm. So hockey goes. Um but we're, the NHL is not the only hockey going on right now. It's also on Saturday. Um, we've got the knockout round started in the World Junior Championships. Uh, Canada falls 6-5 to host country Finland, uh, while the USA rolls over the Czechs. So um, clearly, um, you've got your hockey countries in the medal rounds now. <laughs> um, everyone tell Cole I said that. The semifinals are Monday, and if you're able to watch them, you really should. Uh, World Junior's great fun. Sweden takes on Finland at 9 Eastern, and the U.S. battles Russia at 1 Eastern. Uh, you can you can watch those on NHL Network or TSN. Um, NHL Network was not kind to us with their scheduling over the weekend, so um, there, there may be alternate ways that you might think about watching them as well. Um, the Avalanche prospects are both still involved in the tournament. You've got Miko Rantanen for the Finns, who has a goal and an assist, even though he's been really overshadowed by gar- guys like Jesse Pugliarvi, who scored, like, in buckets. Um, and then the Russian defenseman Sergei Boykov, but you sh- shouldn't root for that guy, because I'm pretty sure this is where I'm supposed to start chanting USA. Go for it, man. USA, yeah. USA. Yeah, he... Uh, he doesn't have any points, but he's also a defenseman. Is he the top line? I think he's played the, the top pairing there. I don't know. I have not seen any of Russia's games. I have seen barely any of the event. Um, and, like, this time on ice stats aren't generally kept where I can find them easily. I don't know where to look for them. Yeah, I mean, they kind of listed on the website, uh, you know, the top lines and the top pairings, and he appears to be... a on the top pairing when they list that, but like you, I'm kind of time zone bitten here, and you know these games are playing so early in the morning, and I have a hard time watching reruns. I don't do it. I can't watch a, d- a delayed sports at all. I can start a game late on Game Center, like halfway through the second, and catch up, but right. I'm not gonna watch a game that's over. I can't. Ha- I can't know what happens already. Yeah, I just can't do it. Um, Which uh, unfortunately, Finland is well ahead of us. Yep. So for those of us who have um, normal people hours having you know have a nine to five in North America. Unless you got real liberal internet policies at work, you're pretty screwed on this one. But if you're able to watch, just do it. It's this, especially Sweden versus Finland. That game is going to be a blast. So um, coming up for the Abs this week, the homestand continues on Monday against the Kings at seven o'clock, and it is a national game. That's on NBC Sports. Um, I don't know whether we'll get Altitude or um, the Kings guys. So I think it's often the home team that gets it, but sometimes it's also just the bigger market, so hard to tell. 
Then on Wednesday, the St. Louis Blues come to town. That's at 8 o'clock due to NBC's exclusivity window for a Wednesday night rivalry, even though the game is on altitude. So that is going to be a little bit later. Um, also on altitude on Friday, the National Predators come to town at 7 o'clock. And finally on Sunday, Avs travel to Chicago for a 5 o'clock mountain start with the Blackhawks. Starting on New Year's Eve, the Avs play every other day until the 23rd when they play back-to-back. Then they have two days off. Then they play back-to-back again before getting a break, finally. I think that's actually the All-Star break. So games are coming at you hard and heavy in January, but most of the opponents this month, you know, we got a couple of games against the Central, but otherwise it's not great records, as we've uh, mentioned a little bit earlier. But anyway, this week, 4 0 and 8 points, right? <laughs> uh, I don't see that happening, unfortunately. Oh, uh, come on! We are running th- through the gauntlet here. A bad fan this guy is. Oh, I am. A total skeptic. You know, L.A.'s been the one bright spot in the Pacific Division. Maybe they're beating up on terrible opponents. But uh, L.A. is good. L.A. has Colorado's number generally. They play good defense. And they suppress shots better than anybody. And speaking of good defense, St. Louis and Nashville. <laughs> uh, you know, I can see the Avalanche taking a game from St. Louis or Nashville, but uh, I could see them win some revenge against Chicago uh, away. I mean, especially Semin Varlamov, you know, it's got to return back to his elite form against them. Uh, you know, I could see four points this week. Two wins. Really hoping for more than four. Um... I mean, I know the playoffs are very, very unlikely, but you really need more than four this week. Um, but you are right about kind of the oil and water that's coming up against several of these teams. Los Angeles have allowed the fewest goals in the league, uh, tied with Washington with 83. And Washington very much buoyed by uh, Braden Holby in that respect. And then you've also got Florida, surprisingly, has only given up 84. So they've, they're have they leading the Atlantic right now, in case you weren't paying attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, the, the Avalanche could make the right adjustments and return to playing the same kind of hockey they were, you know, a week and a half ago. And I'd love to see that. Get the first goal of the game and just clamshell yourself for the remaining 40 minutes. And then St. Louis have allowed 100, which they have played the most games in the league, so it's, that's a little bit tough to maybe compare. Nashville, 102. And then Chicago, just Colorado could beat them by 7 or lose to them by 7. It's, it's, un, it's impossible to tell. Usually not the other way around, though. It's usually at least a, good, a close one. Mm-hmm. And fun to watch. And fun to watch. I, I will almost never miss a game against Chicago if I can help it. You can't do it. I mean, it's some of the best hockey in the league. I mean, it's just two very uh, complementary styles for entertainment purposes. Yeah, that's for sure. And then they go to overtime, and for some reason, can we talk about this? We mentioned we should talk about overtime. That that is on my mind. We mentioned how can they be so bad at three on three? Well, we mentioned disgusting lines to start the show. Um, I think it's interesting to look at who the Avalanche forward pairings were in overtime against the Blackhawks. You had Landis Cobb with Como. Okay. You had Duchesne with Mitchell. Okay. Okay. And you had McKinnon with 
I don't remember. Not Landeskog and not Duchesne. Didn't a Ginla get out there? It might have been a Ginla, actually. Because that was my feeling, and that is not a good feeling. <laughs> uh, that's too much ice for a Ginla. I was like, okay, we've seen Duchesne in overtime. We've seen McKinnon in overtime. We've seen Landeskog in overtime. None of them at the same time. To me, throw out Barry, Duchesne, and McKinnon and just let them play for two minutes. Ride or die. <laughs> right. And get, just go win. Let those guys skate around the entire world and get a wide open shot or six. I mean, nothing else even matters. Actually, McKinnon might have been with Soderbergh. Yeah. Well, Which, that would make more sense to me. But. That's probably the best pairing of the three. <laughs> uh, I think it was Rhymes with Carbon on Twitter said, you know, maybe it's a kind of a strategy of fast with not fast. Um, okay, that's a valid idea. The problem is you're also doing good with not good. So let's let's try to stack it up a little bit in overtime here, eh? Yeah, I mean, it's crunch time. Time to win. And probably more importantly, let's get your line changes locked down because what was that? How in the world do you get a too many men penalty on a three-on-three? Three? There's not enough players on the ice to even screw that up. And then a uh, couple of guys dumping the puck three on three. That should not happen. Never. And uh, they're so, so conditioned, though. So conditioned. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then Jonathan Taves shows pass, shoots straight up into the top of the net. What are you gonna do? I mean, that's why he's one of the best play players in the league. He's the best. Just and, uh, that's why you pay him for. Just don't take the penalty in the first place. Oh, and name a lake after him. Just don't take that penalty in the first place. Right. Um, same problem kind of with Arizona where Colorado, like, just kind of struggled to get possession the whole way. Which, that's going to happen in that format. I mean, you can't lose face-offs. It's extremely important. I mean, uh, and then you can't give up the puck either. Yeah. You know, it's just, because other teams don't have to give the puck back up to you if they don't want to. Yeah, and it's not like you can say, oh, you know, probably shouldn't have given up that goal. Because it was Mikel Mikel Bodker on a breakaway. What are you gonna do? Yep. I mean, you can you can flip a coin and hope that it lands heads, and it didn't. You know, and they had their chances too. So it's it's tough. I mean, it, it really comes down to goalie play and three on three. And uh, you know, Varl Moff's lost a couple. I but there aren't a lot of goalies in the league I trust more on a breakaway. Nope. It used to be Peter Budai was that guy. Even if he wasn't great in other situations, he was locked down on breakaways and shootouts. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, that's just it's so weird because we start the season like looking forward to the avalanche in overtime. Oh, get McKinnon, Duchesne, Eric Johnson, go in the game. Oh, that didn't work. Then we're going to go Soderbergh, Alandiscog, and Tyson Berry, go in the game. Oh, well, that didn't work. Well, let's just roll the first one again. You know, I mean. Yeah. I mean, what are you going to do? <laughs> Save yourself for the next period? There isn't one. So. Save your legs for the shootout, boys. Ugh. I, I, I'm not a fan of spreading out talent among the lines in five-on-five, and five, I'm not a fan of spreading out the talent on three-on-three three either. Just I, Yeah, I understand not guys. wanting to load up all the time, even strength. That makes sense to me. Load- I'm still waiting for that the third period where they you know stack their top line again. Yeah. You know, and just because they're down and they need a goal. Yeah, the old Peter and Joe line. Precisely. 
Um, which, I mean, that's when you definitely need to stack it. But overtime is also that time. Just mm -hmm. put your best out there. Don't worry about trying to spread out your scoring talent. You already have the point. You already have the point. You know, gamble. Go get the second one. Make sure you get it. Don't try to not lose it. Yeah. Well, I'm sure they're learning. They haven't played a lot of overtime games. Nope. They've only played three. Yeah, they haven't won one. So they've lost three, and they've yet to win one. And so it's not a lot of practice. It's and not have never made it to the shootout. Which is their strength. <laughs> they are the only team who has not seen a shootout yet. All row. All the time. San Jose, Minnesota, Chicago, Carolina. All have seen one shootout. But Colorado, the only team with zero. You think the NHL has accomplished what it wanted to with this three-on-three? Three? 100%. Yep. Um, Vancouver has played five shootouts, but and so have the Islanders. The Islanders actually surprised me. Wow, Toronto's had eight. Wow. It'd be interesting to look back on those and see what kind of strategy they're employing. I wonder if they're just sitting there and holding the puck. I mean, if, if there's any coach in the league you can rely on to figure out how to fix overtime, it's probably Babcock. Right. Um, so as bad as the last couple of games have ended up for Colorado, I mean... Got to kind of keep the bigger picture in mind. They are six two and two in their last ten, right? So there's plenty of time for that to correct. And uh, just because we think it's impossible, they'll probably win all four games this week, right? Murderers Row, sure, why not? Let's wake up and play again. And I personally would not complain. Not at all. I mean, there's a contingent of Avalanche fans who want them to lose again and get another good draft pick and. Maybe that's smart, but I think eventually you have to teach winning. You have to learn to win with this team, what you have right now. And really, there's no better time. Just sniff the playoffs again. Get close. And if it's impossible in the Central Division, at least make a good effort at it. Yeah. I mean, when you see all these one-goal games and you talk about you know finding a way, um, which is kind of a way to say, please just get lucky, but just keep pushing. Let's not see any more one-shot-on-goal third periods when you're trailing. That that was not a good effort. You didn't watch the end of the television broadcast, as you admitted to. but No, I didn't watch the end of that game. But uh, I never right. see the end of the television broadcast because I'm on Game Center. Right, right, right. Well, it was interesting. Altitude shows a picture of the locker room and the closed doors and said, Patrick Waugh has not come out of here with the team yet. <laughs> <laughs> I, I imagine something was said last night, and he looked calm during his interview. Um, he looked constructive, or uh, he was giving good answers and whatnot, but I think he may have had something to say last night. That was probably the poorest third-period effort I've seen out of the team this year. Yeah. So, I don't know what that was, but if I see it again, you're going to think Herb Brooks was a slave driver. <laughs> yep. I don't know. They'll tweak some lines again, I think. We're going to see something different tomorrow night, or tonight if you're listening. But You know, something has got to change. You need enough scoring on your top two lines to carry the team. You know, let John Mitchell forecheck with McLeod and Skilly, you know, on the fourth line. You don't need scoring out of that line. You don't need skill out of that line. Just, uh, you know... Go hold the puck in that end until somebody else is ready to play. 
And I know that we're kind of hung right now for for wingers and stuff, but let's let's keep Martinson away from Duchesne and McKinnon if we can. Right. You know, I, I'm a pretty big fan of Martinson, what he's been able to contribute with this team, but I would never have predicted he'd be in a top line role. And you know, let all um, all players with the uh, seven, you know, Corsi forward last night. So he's not all terrible, but it's just not the complimentary skill set I want with those guys. That, that's a four-checker, 100%. That's a powerful four-checker who can occasionally make some pretty strong power moves with the puck himself, but that's a four-checker. Right. Um, I liked him with Soderberg and Como. I mean, that was really, really effective. Sure. I, they're not going to score, but... I mean, They're going to play all your defense for you. The, yeah. the, I mean, they'll, they'll score, but they're not going to score a lot. No, uh, they'll get shots at the net. It's a decent line if you're uh, if you're leading, though. Yeah, absolutely. So anyway, um, I think that pretty much covers this week and next week. So unless you've got anything to add, I'm gonna hit the button. Um, one quick thing: I just got media credentials for the Stadium Series game. Oh shit! Yeah, I'm pretty stoked on that. So. Uh, if you apply through the NHL, they'll give them to you. If you apply through the Avalanche, they'll ignore the hell out of you. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Avalanche have their trusted outlets. So, Yep. Um, uh, so, I'm, I'm honestly still a little surprised that BSN has credentials. So, right. Not because they don't deserve them, but because this is the Avalanche we're talking about. Exactly. You know, so I look forward to providing some more interesting coverage over our little weekend of badass hockey games very cool very cool yeah. that, that means you're gonna get to talk to the alumni and stuff right i don't know we'll see um i, I need to figure out if there's any limitations to that i'm gonna talk to the big editor travis in dc here and see what's going on so kind of working through him but right it'll be interesting i haven't had a press pass since like college so <laughs> well, <laughs> figure out what that's like again yeah well hey cool good luck with that and i'm looking forward to see what you come out with Nice. Well, uh, good talking with you this week. Yeah. As uh, as we get closer to that stadium series game, you can keep an eye out for Ryan's coverage on milehighhockey.com. And you can follow the podcast there as well as all the uh, latest abs news and updates. You can keep track of the site on facebook.com slash milehighhockey or on Twitter at milehighhockey. You can follow the podcast at soundcloud.com slash milehighhockeypodcast, mixcloud.com slash milehighhockeypodcast, or on iTunes where you can subscribe and get them automatically downloaded straight to your ear holes every usually Monday. Sometimes not, but usually. Um, thanks for tuning in, and we will see you all next week, hopefully with eight points for 0-0 against a bunch of good teams. Book it. See you later. I, after last night, I, I couldn't bring myself to do it. Yeah, that, that fourth goal went in, and I was like, you know what sounds less painful than this? Solo cue. <laughs> I'm going to write this uh, recap during this third period and hope nothing else happens. <laughs> you got no, your I, wish. I got my wish. <laughs> went out to the bar. Uh, well, I don't know. Tomorrow night, they're going to beat the goddamn Kings. That's what they're going to do. Do it. Do it.